Hi, welcome back to another wonderful episode of Lion City Rock, the only podcast about Singapore's pop music scene that you never knew that you needed to know. Uh-huh. But now, you know. Yep. Um, this is Chris and I'm with my favourite co-host, Kevin. Kevin, <laughs> yes, and today we're, we're talking about, we're talking to, um, I think one of Singapore's uh, finest uh, singer-songwriters, definitely a guy whose career began writing songs for himself and for other people. He had a, a group called Russian Ficker, I hope I'm pronouncing that correct, um, before he start, embarked on his own solo career, he's recorded in English and Malay. Um, he's recorded or he's written songs for some of the biggest names, I think, in in the region. Um, so please put your hands together for Mr. Art Fazil. Yay! Yay. Hi, Art. Hi, hi Chris. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Art. Hey, man. Good, man. Good, good to be in this uh, uh, podcast about Singapore music. You know, it's, it's cool. It's great, it's great to, to, to know that you guys are doing this. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for being on board. Welcome, man. Welcome. My pleasure, man. Let's begin at the beginning, as they say. Um, you know, how did you actually get into the whole music scene? The, it was back in 85, 86, you know, I started writing songs for myself. And I was writing both in Malay and English. Okay. So I was kind of, on one hand, you know, I mean, because of the Malay music scene, you're kind of connected to Malaysia. So you're getting influenced by all what's going on, you mm. know, in 80, 85, 86. It was quite a big rock thing that was going on with Search and uh, Throne Wings, Left Handed and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a big thing. And it all came to Singapore, to Lion Studio actually to record. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because at that time, KL uh, hasn't got a, a good studio to record like proper, like maybe good recording, good sound recording for, for drums, mm. I mean for, for rock and stuff. So you, know, you used to come down to Lion Studio to record. Up to somewhere in like maybe early 90s, then they had more studios in KL where they could record more stuff. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I was kind of influenced by that on one hand. And then at the same time, I was also kind of having my ear to the ground with what's going on locally with, you know, like Zircon Lounge. Mm. Okay. And then all the kind of local, like Ikta, right. you know, all the, the reggae band, and of mm. course, Heritage. Yes. Uh, and then you kind of work it as Digley and all the other stuff was going on, you know. So it was, and then, you know, you, you kind of understand the history by reading up, although not much information back then, you know, but you know, you heard of the Quest. Uh, they also had English albums back then. So you kind of quite inspiring uh, for someone new that, to know, oh, there was something going on before. And then when Class X album came on, that was really kind of like so groundbreaking and also very inspiring because... Ooh, these local bands are coming out with uh, songs. It's a compilation album, but still, the songs became local favorites. You know, a couple yes. of the songs, right? Yeah. Roses by Gingerbread and uh, Tokyo Squares. Within you remain. Yeah. Um, and that kind of yeah, I mean, for for someone new, uh, I mean, very young at that time, trying to you know, you don't. I mean, I wasn't really inspired by Deep Purple or whatever that was growing up. Sorry, I was very inspired locally. It's just that you hear, because you listen to music from, from abroad, but career-wise, in terms of, hey, if these guys, uh, these local guys can do it, I, maybe I can do it too, you know? That's when I started writing songs and, and um, maybe out of, you know, the, 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 the bravery of being 
young and innocent, right? Not knowing what the industry is about. Yeah, I was just sending in cold calls. You know, I'm making cold calls, sending in my demos made in the toilet, you know, because of the acoustics, right? <laughs> yeah. So I was nice. doing my acoustic stuff, recording, and then I was sending it to, I think I, I made like three calls. One is to a production company called Blackjack. Uh, the other one was Warner Music and Polygram. Mm -hmm. And I literally made copies of the tape and then put an envelope and then just like send it in, you know, like, uh, these are English stuff though. Mm. I was sending in my English stuff, you know, because I was writing, I was I was playing that in school and all that. So I was like, oh, why not just give it a shot? And then, obviously, the after two weeks or so, you kind of call them back, like, okay, what do you think? You know, you send it to the A&R or so I think I sent it to Jimmy Wee for uh. one of the music, you know. So, I, and he said, well, you didn't come down to the office. So I went down and then he came out from the office. This was at Tan Bunliat building somewhere in... Mm. Uh, Utrum, that's right, right? Utrum, yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember that. Then uh, he came out briefly from the off his office and he spoke to me and said, well, you know, you're saying you can't really sing but your your songs are quite good. <laughs> My goodness. Wait, well, hang on, hang on. How old were you at this point in time? 18 maybe. Okay, okay. Right. Yeah, I was still in school. I was still doing A-levels or something. Wow, like, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, so I thought, okay. Then then when I went, when I met him, he said, well, you know, you can't really sing. So obviously he's saying, I can't sign you up as a singer, an artist. But your songs are quite good. Why don't you just leave your songs us and we'll see what we can do about it. But me being an arrogant teenager, you know, go like, no, no, no I'll just have my songs back. You know. Nice. <laughs> yeah, you know, because you didn't think about that. Maybe if I put a song there, somebody can sing it and I get into a you know, publishing <laughs> deal, whatever, you know, and develop. Well, but what happened at that, that very meeting with him when I took my cassettes back and I do a blakang pusing, I turn around and there was Ramli Sarip just entering the office. Wow. wow. Okay. So he, and at that time, he was, his second album, his second solo album was like, it was a big hit. Mm. Like, and it was just like, literally, it, it launched his solo yeah. career after the second album. With the, uh, I think it's called Bukan Kerana Nama. Uh, tra loosely translated as Not For Name, yeah. you know. So, so it was, yeah, it was kind of a folky ballad thing and then kind of a nice transition for him being the, the lead singer of a rock band, mm. Sweet Charity, you know. Yep. And obviously, I've seen Sweet Charity perform at like, Police and Friends concert. Yeah. Yeah. And all that, right? Massive. Um, so we were kind of straight, like, like Sweet Charity were known for the, in the Malay market for the original songs. But when they do the English material, it was a lot of covers. Yeah. So they kind of, you know, it's a, it's a very Singapore-like scene, you know. Yeah. Where you literally have, okay, you can do one in one language and then you can do another one in completely for a different audience. Mm. So, so that also kind of inspired me to like, okay, just keep on writing. So when I, when I came face to face with Ramli Sarip, you know, and this is where the early days of self-marketing comes on, you know. This, <laughs> this is before the narcissism of social media, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Go like, <laughs> you go like, so I, I literally said to him, I said, uh, I said, Bang Ramli, I have uh, Malay rock songs. Because obviously in my head, he's a rocker. So I have to, to make sure that the word rock is there, you see. Yeah, yeah. So I said, uh, I, this is, uh, I've got some songs, I've got Malay rock songs, would you like to hear them? And he said, yeah, you know, just leave it at the reception, you know, uh, and I'll have a listen and then I'll see, you know, what I can do with it. And, you know, you, you don't think much about these things, right? So I went home and then did some, uh, I recorded some of my Malay songs on, on cassette and sent back, put in an envelope and sent it back to the reception at, at Warner Music. And I never, never thought much about it. Uh, just went on, you know, I think. And then about two weeks later, 
I got a call at home, you know, because uh, I left my phone number. Mm. So I got a phone call. I was actually literally playing football at the void deck, you know, uh, <laughs> with my friends in the afternoon, about four plus or five. And then my, because I was living on the third floor, my mother shouted, "There's a phone call for you in Malay," <laughs> and the whole neighborhood were here, you know. As all mothers would do, like you know, whenever you do something silly or you, it's time for a meal or time to go home, you know, just yeah, no need to have mobile phone, just shout, man. <laughs> right? So yes. I, yeah, I literally ran upstairs and then I picked up the phone and there was Ramli Sarip on the, at the end of the line and he said in very briefly that he he's going to use one of the songs oh, that, that nice. I, I sent in. Mm-hmm. It's called Orang Kota, translated as uh, City People. Yeah, from from uh, the recorded version and. The original acoustic version wasn't that far off. Oh, okay. You know, in, in terms of the feel and the yeah. the chord progression and all that, it wasn't much. Arranged. We just added on stuff to it. Right, right. Yeah. So from from then onwards, I kind of struck a kind of this friendship, you know, with with him. I mean, because by then, after when he was, because that song was used for his third album. Mm. So when he was recording the third album, I was already. In national service, so I didn't get a chance to sit down at the recording and all that. Mm-hmm. But when he released the album, I I was there doing the con- the first concert that he did for the album, and then from then onwards, you know, as and when I got free time off days, I used to just hang out with him at Bustera Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that was there was a bookshop there. There was number sixty five uh, at Bustera Street that belonged to his manager. Okay. So Ramli used to go there and hang out and all. It's an old bookshop, not 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 as you know. Is it- Slick as this one's now. Is it still around? Still is it? No, no longer, no longer oh, okay. around. Yeah, yeah. So it was a family-owned business, and they've they've sold it off. Oh, right. So, so, so I, I mean, I got to see the the raw side of Kampung Glam, you know, before mm-hmm. it become before hipster. it became glam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> became all, oh, yeah. Now I feel I feel underdressed when you when go. I, there. <laughs> yeah. So I rather not hang out at Little India, <laughs> which is a more kind of old school feel, you know. Yeah, yes. Yeah. You know, so yeah. yeah, so yeah, and and yeah, I I I managed to catch that bit of old Singapore through my re- connections with Ramli, and you know that from with Ramli, I got to know more club musicians than he, you know, because mm. he obviously also played in the clubs before with his band Sweet Charity, right? Yeah. And then uh, yeah, and then from there, he got connected with the uh, football scene. You know, there's Fandi Ahmad, Malik Awam, mm. and Abasa, and all the other guys. Yeah, so it was a a kind of a very close relationship between soccer players and musicians at that time. Mm, okay. Yeah. Bobby, that's interesting. Yeah. So how from that that point on, I mean, were you, I mean, you're obviously still writing your songs and stuff like that, but did you ever mm. think about, like, when do you think, I, I, I mean, I've written for some people, I want to do it for myself and then get out there. Well, I think for, <clears throat> for, for the... For the Malay songs, I was writing and I was giving a lot of the very, very fresh songs that I was writing back then, which one or two I've re-recorded again, you know. But you, you didn't think about, oh, I should keep this for my album because it didn't even cross my, my mind that I could probably record an album at that time, you know. But yes. for some reason, I was more interested in my English materials. Mm. So I didn't, that one I didn't give to anybody because that was more like my own thing. I don't know what it was, but... It was even folk. I mean, later on, I went into more acoustic folk stuff. But I was just writing stuff in English and thinking, yeah, maybe at some point I can do uh, an album about you know with that, you know. So mm. it it kind of uh, in the in the in the Malay music 
industry, I was writing stuff and, and we're getting published. Uh, they were like more about by 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 1990, I had maybe four or five acts from Malaysia that was recording my stuff. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Mostly, mostly it was Ramli's production under Warner Music, mm. and eventually, you know, you got connected with other people and all that. Mm. So, were you signed to a publisher back then? Uh, no, it was um, the 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 publishing contract that we received were ad hoc. So, if you write one song, they give you a contract. And so the songs assigned to let's say I got right. all my early songs were under Warner Music, uh, and then I realized that, you know, obviously in those days you don't have much information like how you have now, you know, mm-hmm. like my my early introduction to the whole global music business was when I bought Donald Passman's book, you know, what you need to know about the music business mm. from from uh, Tower Tower Books, you know, Tower Records, mm. was it Borders? Yeah, one of those. Yeah, I mean same place <laughs> but different different company, right? From right, Tower right. Records, it became Borders, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, then, then when I, I read that book, then I realized, hey, actually, I can do my own publishing. Yes. Then I registered my own publishing called Soul Library, and I ended up being my own publisher because, because we, we were not getting the right deal in terms mm. of what, what the international practice is. Because mm. at the international level, later on, I found out that if you sign exclusively to a uh, publishing company, mm. they do give you an advance royal- yes. against your future royalties. Yeah la, technically Yeah, la. <laughs> yeah. and and some some of my friends. I mean, when I was living in London, I knew a few uh, songwriters that had their work published. Their first royalty check, they bought a house. Yeah, right. So yeah, so yeah, so so it's it's like uh, this is not the, the 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 kind of practice that we should be get, getting. You know, in fact, until today, I don't think anybody got any kind of. The right kind of deal with in terms of publishing in 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 Singapore or Malaysia for that matter, because mm-hmm. yep. because you know you don't you don't you don't you don't even have the chance to consult a an entertainment lawyer, yeah, to discuss your deals your terms you know because you don't know what you're standing off yeah because right, you'll be standing off an exclusive one off deal which the company holds forever yeah correct yeah. correct Probably. by right by right they should just give you an period like ten years twenty years and mm-hmm. then they pay you against future royalties you correct know? yeah. So that's not being practiced, and then so there's a lot of loss of income for a lot of writers, also because maybe the the, the people are saying oh the market is small and all that, but you know but the 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 contract they give you is a standard contract from the states, yep, drawn by the lawyers there, but yeah. the practice is very different. Very different, yes. Yeah. Same time where you, you and uh, Isham and Akai got together to yeah. to do yeah. a Russian Fikir? Yeah, so so it was like during national service and then okay, we all well, I think I finished around nineteen ninety or something like that. So that was this kind of you know that, that post NS lal period where you go like what do I do with my life? 
you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, do I go to university? Uh, maybe, well, maybe not. My grade's not that great after A-levels, you know? Like, uh, do I go private, do law or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, then I, I kind of applied for quite random jobs, you know? Like, from office, clerical work, to even, like, trying to be an apprentice for a frame-making company, you know, for artwork. Mm. I never, I didn't, I never got any of those jobs. I was, I was not employable, you know, <laughs> for some reason. Because by then, I think my hair was kind of really growing, you know. So they were looking, are you serious about working in an office? Yeah, I'm serious, you know. <laughs> they're looking at your hair like, I don't think this guy is serious. So yeah. I, kind of, I kind of drifted. I kind of drifted. Then by then, because you're finished with your military service, you're free, you know. And then suddenly, Ramli is doing all these tours all over Malaysia. Mm. And he said, why don't you just, just come along, you know, jump on the bandwagon. I said, why not, right? Yeah, yeah. So I kind of like drifted in that way. Then just kind of help him carry his guitars on stage. Sometimes doing backing vocals here and there, you know, for his recording. And then sometimes get called for doing some backing vocals for kind of some of his songs on, on stage. And I think it was some, some sort of um, a very informal mentoring scheme, you know. Mm. You, yeah. you, you hang out. And then being the younger ones... You, probably the youngest at that time amongst all his other friends, you end up being the coffee boy. Yeah. yeah. Right? So yeah. you end up being, okay, go buy coffee and then buy prata and this and that, you know. You just, but you are allowed to hang out and and just be in the fringe and just observe. What we call now internship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the kampung style internship. Your, your job is to just buy coffee, tea, and then you get to hang around, you know, yeah. and then you get to tour. And you get, I get a taste of, oh, this is the Malaysian music scene. Oh, mm. Quite interesting. Then you meet all the, some of the big names there. And you end up writing for some of the artists. So you kind of seep into the industry and it's all connected, you know. Mm. Um, and then uh, Isham, uh, who's, who's my schoolmate at uh, Amokyo Pri, suggested that we all self-fund our own recordings, you know. Mm. Uh, because in my head, I'm always thinking, oh, I should get signed or, you know, mm. to like get a formal way of doing it. But Isham had more of an independent spirit. So me and, and Hair, uh, we're all very like-minded. So we thought, okay, well, let's record an album of three songwriters, singer-songwriters, and just release like a compilation al album. That was the original idea. Mm. It wasn't even like a... We didn't even have the name Rao Chan Vicky then. Oh, okay. We didn't have a band name. So we thought, yeah, maybe we just... There was no grand design, and it was just like, ah, just do it, man. Then I'll find some money, right? You know, just do it. Mm. So we, we end up spending like forking out about $2,000 each at that time mm. to uh, buy some studio time, and we had help from friends. Our, our, yeah, so our producer is Eddie Marzuki. Yeah, so Eddie Marzuki is our, our, our studio producer from Flybeat. So he helped a lot. I mean, we paid him, but you know, not, not the, the usual professional fees that he gets. But he was kind enough to help us. So we managed to produce the first album with, uh, independently, and we recorded at Quad Studio. Uh, it also helped because Ramli used to record at Quad Studio. We, I know the, the, the sound engineer, uh, Albert, also known, also known as Ahwat. Yeah. So, yeah. So he, yeah, and he was, you know, he said, yeah, I can give you a good deal and all that. You know, all that. So, yeah, we managed to record at a very, very kind of, at that time, it was, minis it was very little because... Uh, at, in those days, to produce an album, you, you need about $20,000. Yeah. You know, with studio time and all that, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, we managed to get that. But, 
at that point, we still don't have a distributor. Mm. We were thinking, I would just put, put that stuff up. I mean, I had no idea about printing of CDs. Mm. So we went to the point of, okay, let's produce the master. And then, oh, yeah, we have to produce cassettes and CDs. Where do you do, 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 get that yeah. done, you know? Yeah. So we never had that, that, that kind of uh, foresight blueprint of what the game plan is. We were just kind of like, let's just do it first, you know? And it was that, that particular time that I was involved in Acoustic Vibes. Remember Chris, Acoustic Vibes with uh, uh, Steve Hogan, Denise Tessenson, and, you know, we had uh, Ray, Reynold Pereira, and we had... Yeah. Um, yeah, quite, quite a few a few other local singer-songwriters. Uh, Pamela Wildheart. Oh, know, yeah, that's right. Yeah. DJ, yeah. yeah. So we all... I mean, it was something that I saw in the new paper, and it was just a little a kind of a article saying that, you know, Acoustic vibe, the, 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 those who are interested just pop in. Yep, yep. For some strange reason, I just felt this is it, man. I just had this kind of inner feeling like this is this is gonna happen, you know? It's just, I'm, or maybe it was just the energy, you know? Right, right. So I just kind of literally took a cab, went down to a substation and walked in and with. Oh, yeah, because with, you could register then, then. Yeah, it was know, like it was, an open was, mic. It was like an open mic. Yeah, it was mic kind of an open kind mic concept, right? Yeah. 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 So I just kind of walked in, uh, full full body armor, which means I got my bandana on. Right? <laughs> oh, I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, still, I still, still have, have that. that yeah. Okay. Room, but yeah, I still. That one appeared in Straits Times after that. Sharon Lim wrote the article. <laughs> so, 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 and that kind of, that gig was such, so, it was such a, uh, the energy was different and the, the place was packed. Mm, yep. It was filled up. People were sitting, you know, the Guinness Theatre, right? The sitting mm, yeah. thing. But people were also sitting on the floor. Yeah. Mm. This was before Esplanade, before whatever, yes, you know? Yeah. It was all kind yeah. of self-funded, self, a lot, a lot of uh, ground-up initiatives. People just want to do it because they felt like doing it. It was fun. It was not about the money at all. Mm, mm. And, and, and that gig was, for some reason, it was just like, it had a special energy to it. Like. It was just like, bam, you know, it's like, like and, and because it was one of its kind, it kind of created a bit of a buzz. Mm. And then there was also acoustic vibes too and so on and yeah. so on, right? Yeah. But because of that, I, you know, Sharon Lim, who was working with Straight Times back then, wrote a big article, yep. right? Almost a one-page yep. article with my face doing like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, with the expression and then Pamela Wahat and some and somebody. I think yeah, those two were and it's just folk power. I still remember I still have the article. And of course Sharon Lim claimed to, you know, to claim on me like I discovered you. <laughs> Until, today. <laughs> Until today, right? I'm so sure she said, I discovered you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget that, my friend, you yeah, know. Yeah. So <laughs> I really became good friends, you know, uh, uh, over the years. Yeah. So um and that and then because of that, I think okay, see this is all about Synchronicity, I think. You know, we look on hindsight, mm. right? Mm. So at that particular time, uh, Pony Cannon was coming to the market. Mm. Yes. They were already there because they were part of Fuji Sanke TV network. Yep. They were already here as the TV production company doing Asia Bagus. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Mm. right? That's right. Yeah, so yeah. they opened up Pony Canyon uh, Records here, the, the branch. And then they kind of uh, got Jimmy Wee from Warner to... Yeah, they basically buy over his yeah. contract, you know, like like soccer players, right? Yeah. Yeah. Buy over his contract <laughs> and for quite good money and all yeah. that. So he he ended up being the MD for Pony Canyon with l very liberal with 
uh, ideas and and funding as well. Yes. So there were so many acts, but you know, some good ones, some were some were misses, some hit, and you know. Mm. Um, so I got the attention of Jimmy Wee because at the same time I also approached them with the master tape of Roshan Fikir. Oh, this, okay. So this is the first album. The, the first album, Roshan yeah. Okay. We didn't have distributors, right? So we I approached him with. If you sign me up, I've got Russian VK as the band, and you will get me as a solo English. Right, band. right, right, right. So, so, so we released Russian VK first mm-hmm. because that was already ready to go. It was all mixed and and mastered, right? Mm. So, but the moment we signed to Pony Canyon, uh, immediately it got released. So this will be Spring Roll, right? Spring Roll, yeah, correct, correct. Spring Roll, which is uh, Jimmy Wee's, uh. Production. Yeah, it's the sub and the but sub under. Um, so the subsidiary lah. Like, yeah. subsidiary. There's Spring Roll production and there's Keen Records, then Pony Canyon Records. So it's kind of a right. few levels up. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Spring Roll was funding the production. Keen mm-hmm. Records was releasing it. Right. Right. Yeah, but the, the I think the funder was Pony Canyon. Yes. Mm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I think different acts, although under the sort of Pony Canyon umbrella, had different deals. Like I think Maizura Hamza. Hmm. Was signed directly to Pony Canyon Records because she was doing Japan, Korea, and all that. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Blues generasi baru, generasi maju. Blues generasi baru, blues kepala batu. Blues generasi ku bukan lagi blues yang dulu. So um, yeah, that's how I kind of got into the whole thing, and then that the 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 Malay album Russian Fikir's first album came out in 1992, mm. and then 1993 uh, my English solo English album came out, and then mm. 94 was the second Russian Fikir album before Ish, Isham got really ill and mm. then passed on a couple of years later. Mm. Mm. So, but at that time, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you guys remember as well. Like the early 90s was such a nice vibe. And energy yes. and yeah. everybody was doing their own thing. Yeah. Uh, there were gigs everywhere. You know, I yeah. mean the, the the heavy scene like stomping ground and, and yeah. opposition party yeah. and all that. You yeah. know, had their own scene. Then we focus have our own kind of acoustic scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was it was and a lot of the stuff were a lot of self initiative. I remember doing my own gigs after that, like just paying for. To hire Guinness Studio and get my musician friend to help mm, me out. Mm. Yeah, I did my uh, PUB Auditorium gig in 1994. Mm. Uh, wow, that was self-funded. Was, yeah, yeah, right. Wow. <laughs> yeah, uh, we had sponsored Yamaha sponsored equipment. My girlfriend then helped to produce the show. Mm, mm, yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was a very very magical moment. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, so so yeah, so it's all you know. Nice, nice to be able to kind of look back and and, and talk about it now. I think, I think, and at some point, somebody should do a book about it. You know, like <laughs> the whole thing, the whole story, right? To see how. I mean, we have now. I mean, we have the Apache over Singapore, which is yeah, about but that's the about the sixties. That that's like yeah, a directory yeah. of sixties bands. Uh, you know. Yeah, and, and yeah. so we two. we need to have, uh, because I think a lot of our indie acts in the nineties. Own their own masters, so yep. there is. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff uh, that, that that can be. 
that should be heard, lah. I think, but a yeah, lot of it isn't yeah. really out there. I think. I think one of the things. What actually? I mean, since you're talking about the different kind of vibes and different scenes as well, I think one of what in, one interesting thing is, um, you know, with with your even within you yourself. I mean, within your band, I think to me, Russian Fakir between album one and album two or so, the sound is very uh, different already. Like the mm, first mm. one sounds sounds to me very organic, very acoustic driven. The second one had a lot more form, um, you know, with, in terms of the, the, the musical arrangement and the, it got a bit heavier to me also. You yeah, had a lot, yeah. You had electric guitars and, 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 you know, bigger drums. It was, a bit, it was more pop. La. Second album was more, more, the approach was more, uh, yeah, more, and also because we had a bit more money <laughs> to get other musicians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we 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 get a bit excited like we could afford more studio time. So the first album was Quad Studio. The second album was Lion Studio. Oh, right. Mm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So we had yeah. John, John, uh, John, John Herbert, involved. John Herbert, yeah. the late John Herbert, yeah. a legend, a legend himself. You know. Mm. Um, and I also recorded my English album at Lion. Was it Lion? Oh, okay. Yeah, it wow. was Lion Studio. Yeah. So Lion Studio has a certain magic to it. I mean, I know quite a few Malay albums that became like classics because they were recorded at Lion mm, Studio. Mm. Maybe you just have the ong, you know, just the, the luck of it. I've always thought that, I always felt that, I mean, uh, we, I think we, for myself, my band, we also recorded a couple of tracks at Lion itself. And I don't know, to me, it's like, it's like Singapore's Abbey Road kind of vibe. Mm. When you walk it's into true, that thing, yeah, it's like yeah. the Studio 2. It's big, yeah, it's, right? It's, it's a proper, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can fit about four ping pong tables in, in, yeah, the, in the recording, yeah, exactly. Area, you know, recording I mean, SSO yeah. records there, so you know, they can fit yeah. the entire orchestra in there when they do I've, it, I've like. been into the the uh, the vaults, you know, inside we keep all the master tapes. Mm, wow, okay. And some of the very, very classic Malay recordings, as the, the one I've seen, are uh, like you know, Ali Cat, wow, Kambara, mm. you know, all in there, it's all in there. The, like when, when they shifted the Malay operations to Malaysia, mm. the polygram guys forgot to take the tape. <laughs> oh my God. So they just left it in the vault. You know, it's still there. I mean, wow. when I did my uh, children folk songs album, mm. this is about 10 years ago, I went into the vault and I, the, the stuff was still there. It's still well kept because it's all, you know, with the right temperature yeah. and all that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So, and, 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 and it's still analog, you know. Mm. That's true. Yeah, all those recordings no, are no, done. Tick, in tick, tick, done from tick, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. My father, he wants me to be like everybody else. Walk to talk, don't rock, don't shock everybody else. My mother, she wants me to be like. Well, I mean, you know, let, let's talk a bit about your, your, I think your solo album, the, the English one, was the one that kind of like, got, you know, that most people know about. Um, mm. Thanks also, I think, to, to Sharon. I remember she wrote a very nice uh, article about the, that album. 
yeah. And uh, yeah, so can, what was that like? I mean, you had, you guys had already done your your Malay songs, and now you're doing it solo. This will be the first time you're doing it solo, I suppose. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, yeah, it was kind of. Uh, yeah, because with, with the band, it's easier because you're bouncing off ideas, and mm. you know, and a lot more. You feel a lot more secure because you, yeah, you got. I mean, like with Rao Shafiki, I said, like, give me your best five songs and then we'll just sort out what is the best right. ten, you know, right. among among the 15 or 20 songs that we've got. So it's a lot easier. But with the English ones, although I have more freedom, but it was like, okay, what direction? And um, and the thing with Pony Cannon was that Jimmy Jimmy was just giving me all the complete freedom, you know, like, just do your, your style. Wow. He didn't say, okay. oh, you need to work there or you need to have something for radio. It wasn't even thought of, like, it would be for radio, you know. I just like, okay... Just do whatever that I think is that I have that is ready to go, you know. So I had Mama I Can't Breathe, mm. Full Moon of the Moon in the Bay, and and even sometimes when I feel blue was like, you know, I was quite surprised that it became a radio song. Yeah, it was know? a hit, wasn't it? Yeah, yes. yeah, it got in the number two to mm. the like, local charts. But it's one of those songs that I, you know, when, when you play it, it didn't sound like mm, you, you don't you don't think much about it. Okay. <laughs> Right? I think it's a great hope, though. <laughs> yeah. So, so when 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 the album was was finished, uh, only then a Jimmy Jimmy uh, said, "Okay, I think we should use sometimes I feel like mm. first song that mm. you're single, mm. you know, to put up, and then we did a video clip and all that." Mm-hmm. Um, so because of his of his, you know, he's a, he's a record label guy, so he knows you know what mm. songs would appeal. Mm. Um, so in in those days, I think we had we had. Uh, guys like Jimmy Wee, people like uh, Chris Blackwell, Island Records, you know, very, yeah. very, in, very strong individual who knows what the market wants without trying to oversell, you know. Yeah. So people like Clive Davis, they kind of know the strength of the artist and see what, yep. how can you use the strength of the artist without changing much. Mm-hmm. You just tweak a little bit, maybe, you know, enhance here and there. Uh, and 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 it, you you sell you you get the artist work across to a more mainstream audience. Mm. So yeah, so so Jimmy was like that with, with me. He was like yeah, you know, we'll, I think this song is okay. Then we and and, and he was right. So, so sometimes mm. when I feel, although it's not my angry song, you know, <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's the sweetest song on the whole album. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And and then and then you you get people walking down the street. You go like sometimes, sometimes you know the kind of like yeah. the first line, right? Yeah. So, which is which is annoying, but at the same time, well, <laughs> the people remember the song, so I'm I'm quite happy with that as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I was gonna say like yeah, yeah. That that's a that's actually a a, a nice song, a sweet song. Um, Thank you. Yeah, you know, yeah. like butterfly, yeah. which is also another one of those in that same vein. Um, but. Uh, what what I think struck a lot of people, and and I know it came out because somebody called you like the Dylan, Dylan vibes coming mm. off this album, um, because of because all the songs had some commentary inside, you know, Mama I can't breathe, mm. um, everybody else, mm, mm. Um, don't tell me what mm. to wear. I think was the other one, Sin of the Skin. Yeah, they're very Singapore based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, relevant yeah. to Singapore. Yeah. <laughs> so you're talking about you're talking about like global. Uh, you know, climate change. You're talking about finding identity, which is all like you know, all all subtext in in practically every uh, all the other songs. Uh, you know, was was mm. that in was that intentional mm-hmm. for you? Was that all how because a lot of them also sound very personal. You know, 
So was that a key thing yeah, for you? Yeah. Was it was it a thing that oh yeah, it must be this kind of thing? Uh, uh, actually, it was come organic because by by the time I was recording the album, the songs were around for at least two or three years. Oh, okay. So I was gigging. I was already gigging with those songs. So it felt very comfortable. So I, the the choice was more like okay, I'm more comfortable with at least the first five six songs were the songs that I was right. Right, I played this. I'm comfortable with it. Let's record this. Right. And the rest were kind of like, oh, he's hanging around. Maybe some personal messages, or whatever. You know, just the the just to make it more colorful. Mm-hmm. So like, Mama I Can't Breathe was written on an aeroplane. Well, the idea when I was coming back from KL in 1990, and I was on a flight from KL to Singapore, and I was reading the newspaper on plane, going like, Singapore bans chewing gum. <laughs> that was the year. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, what the hell? And that kind of, you know, yeah. the part of the lyrics, like, I cannot chew what yeah. I want to, mama. Mm. You know? And so, so it went on from there. Like, okay, so it's about the idea about Singapore being very stifling. Yeah. Mm. You can't do a lot of things, you know? Obviously, now, the, the goalpost has been shifted. But <laughs> the restrictions remain. Yeah. yeah. But the goalpost is still there. The fence is there, but it's a lot wider. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, you will, know, you will know that you, there is a fence because once you reach there, you say, oh, you can't pass yeah. through this fence. Yeah, yeah. But if you are in, in the middle of the field, you think, ah, it's quite liberal, you know, we have open space. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. So, and then also songs like uh, Full Moon of Marina Bay. Yeah. And it wasn't very conscious trying to be the local mm. folkster. It was more like, okay, these are the songs I've got and these are what inspired me at that moment when I was writing it. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and they just came on the album. But the, the concept of the album, yeah, I wanted it to sound folky, a bit more retro sounding a little bit, so mm, it wasn't yes. very polished <laughs> in, that, in that sense. Yeah. I cannot dance when I want to, mama, they make me stay in my seat, I cannot chew what I I think that's what really kind of struck me as unique about your uh, debut solo was this, you know, the, the observational lyricism, right? Which is a very rare thing for Singaporeans. Because Singaporeans, you know, like, after so many years, it's like, oh, better not say anything. Like, <laughs> that kind of thing, you know, it's kind yeah, of a natural, yeah. you kind of self-censor yourself. So, like, that, that's what struck me the most because, like, okay, finally we have somebody who's singing about Singapore, but that's always such a rare thing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, it was. Um, I think I was more influenced by Neil Young than Dylan, you see. Mm. Yeah. Uh, because it's just that Dylan, because he's being the, 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 the folk hero. So eventually, if you are a singer songwriter with a bit of 
you know, you kind of meander into a bit of politics and social commentary. Ultimately, it's like, yeah. oh, Dylan, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I was listening to more like Cat <laughs> Okay. It's it's uh, to me it's a lazy thing to say lah. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> you know, well, I, I think I think they were swayed by your acoustic guitar and the harmonica. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> of the, you know, yeah, Be- because I wasn't very familiar with a lot of Dylan stuff back then. Right, you know, right. I mean, later on then I kind of listened to more of his stuff, but some of the stuff are, are not very accessible. You have to know the context of American culture yes, and the whole thing yes. before because musically he wasn't. As adventurous in a sense, you know. Mm, that's, true, yeah. that's true. And it was more the, the, the rock poet thing, you know. Yeah. Mm. So uh, I was more taken in by Neil Young and and mm. because of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young mm. and all that very very melodic stuff, yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Performing at these gigs, I mean, you were, were you at all the acoustic vibe shows or did you do yeah, all? I the... think yeah, I think it was at all the acoustic vibes from. The first one at uh, uh, Guinness Theatre mm, substation. substation. I think the second one was also there Sub- as well. Yeah, second one was still. I think I'm not sure whether it was in the garden or not. It could have been in the garden was later on. Garden later, later, later on. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we also had different venues like the curry leaf restaurant. I was just I was just telling <laughs> Kevin about that. I said I remember we were in this Indian restaurant, standing in yeah. front of the food, and then just yeah. playing there. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and going and, 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 and then some of the customers going like <laughs> yeah, yeah. what the hell is going <laughs> yeah, yeah. on man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right yeah I mean you know I was I was still playing my my, my songs from the English album which all quite ang- some of the angry stuff yeah. right? I mean like they were angst like, you know like the energy of it you know so imagine you're having a like, banana leaf curry meal <laughs> and this guy is venting his frustration on the system yeah. Mama, on I can't breathe guitar. in the corner over there. <laughs> yeah yeah and, I mean the irony of it eating it, you know singing Mama I can't breathe in, in a curry, a curry, curry restaurant <laughs> <laughs> you know <sighs> so the, the, you know it's depending hilarious. on which angle you look at yeah, it right? yeah. yeah but yeah that's true but I mean, were you but Having said that, I mean, because I think out of everybody, I think who did that acoustic vibes gig, because uh, I mean, we like, I was we were on it already, but we had also had put out an album by the time we did uh, did the shows. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you you guys were signed to BMG Records. Yeah, it? we were signed to BMG, and we had already just, we had just put out the album. And that's why we went to do the and that's postcards. How, yeah. <laughs> Very pretentious, yeah, stupid yeah. titles like postcards, which, which the the engineer who was recording us kept calling passport. So let's <laughs> 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 do your song passport. Like, what? That's funny. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. That's hilarious. So, um, but we had that, and, and that's why that's that's how we got to meet. I mean, we met Denise and Steve earlier when we 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 were gigging, and they used to come mm. to almost all our shows. But you were actually, yeah, like you said, you were coke you. Basically, you cold call the, the 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 gigs, and uh, were you surprised though by the by the the reception of people to to your material, especially um, when your album came out? It was it was, it was interesting because being a folky okay, at that time, obviously grunge was big. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. you know, and and I'm kind of get in in between those right, you know, and then you get a bit of attention. Um, on hindsight, yeah, I was I was. I was just going with the flow. I never really analyzed it. You know, it's mm. kind of like, okay. And also, it helped because uh, with Pony Canyon, then you have your promo department, right? And they mm. were uh, 
mm. Ellery, who was working for right. the, the promo department. Barry is now married to John Class. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's right. right. So, yeah. so she was with the uh, with the promo team, and she was very very good with it, right? Mm. And she uh, put stuff. I mean, literally put us on radio, TV, mm. um, uh, shopping mall shows. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. We, they were we the, the bandstand at Scotts. That that was what uh, it was called. Yeah, the bandstand. bandstand that's the one. Yeah. Was that the one at Lido? That, yeah, Lido, yeah. 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 Like, yeah. It's kind of arena. Yeah, that, right? yeah. So, uh, yeah, okay. where the that McDonald's thing, I mean, used to be uh, or, or Mos Burger. Yeah, or that's, right, like that. that's right. So, so imagine in those days, there, there was no internet, obviously, and it was all word of mouth. Mm. And you mm. got crowds. Literally, you can see people standing around, sitting, and people, you yeah. know, it was, it was a scene, you know, but so people yeah. waiting yeah. for it. Yeah. And until today, I, I meet people who still talk about that, that kind mm. of time, that scene, you know, there's gigs, there's places to go and then you know you know like what's going on where and what we can you know mm. uh, how we obviously maybe through through newspaper articles yeah mm. yeah uh, also at that time right we were lucky because TV played quite an important role with it yes. we had live on five yes live on five right. and then move something about move move it no move mm. on or there's a couple of the TV programs. Um, there was a program called Vids or so. Vids. Oh yeah. my god, yeah, they played Vids, yeah. they played they played the, the videos on that one. Slightly later than ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah, yeah. So 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 when you see the the importance of the media trying pushing because obviously those days uh, TV was the, the the prime thing. Mm. So when you when you perform on TV you People would know because it gives you the exposure, yeah. right? So within a week, you can see a bit of shift in your album sales. Yes, because obviously people knew, and you know if they like it, they may look for it. You know, so mm. so we we were lucky. The 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 TV stations were very uh, proactive in promoting local music. Yeah, like producers like Rosie Bum. Mm. Yes, remember That's Rosie right. Bum? Yeah, yeah. Right? So she was doing live on five yeah. and. Um, yeah, there were a couple of programs like Vanessa Lopez being the host, you know. Oh, yeah, I can't remember what the name is called, but yeah. yeah. So there were a few of that, and and sometimes I wish they would show these TV programs, you know, like I'm sure they keep the tape somewhere. Well, yeah. recently on, <laughs> because recently on the Channel News Asia interview, they actually played one of my old. I don't even remember what gig it was. It was me with the kind of hair like a bandana mm-hmm. singing. So they, they have, probably if they dig deep enough. They, they do lah. Probably they do. But whether or not they want to take it out or not, that's the Yeah, because then you can you can do a, a like, you know, a rerun. And hmm. The problem is with, with our, our industry, yes. although it's small, is that we do not have a culture of celebrating our heroes. Yeah. Of, of oh, previous right. work. Right, right. Yeah, yes. the history so is we, gone. We, yeah. yeah, so you see, in, yeah. in, in, in the... In the in the real world out there, you have Mojo magazine, yeah, right? Mojo, Uncut. Yeah, they keep reminding you how yeah, great yeah, yeah. these albums were, how groundbreaking yeah. it was, technology-wise. Mm-hmm. You know, they, mm-hmm. many ways are looking at it from the songwriting perspective, right. the political thing. You know, yeah. so we we don't have that uh, uh, culture. We don't have that industry as well. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know, uh, not many books are written about yeah. uh, the the local music business, yeah, the local true. music industry. Yeah. So, so, so we're, you we're end trying up, to yeah, we're trying to fill a gap here. That's that's the whole point of this yeah. thing. <laughs> so, so which is cool, which is cool. I mean, so, so it's, it's great what you guys are doing because then it will be a reference point when people go like, mm. you know. So it's it's I don't I mean like um the library also SG um SG music or something. They also try to document stuff. Oh yeah, mm, yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, but but we need we need also to remind people because all those are writings, right? Yeah. So you yes. need people to see the actual footage yeah. of yes. like you know you can see the first ever Beatles gig. Yeah. Right. Yes. And the first yes. ever yes. Beatles gig in the states. Yes. 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 Right. And the how rotating they, stage. The rotating yeah, stage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which which was in Singapore at that time in National Theatre also they have it. Mm. I remember seeing one of oh uh, yeah, one of <laughs> but you see they keep reminding you how great the Beatles are. Until today, they remind you how great the Rolling Stones are. Mm. Yes. So you know, and it's some of it obviously done by the the label themselves, mm. by the artist management, but also by the, like BBC keeps playing mm. stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean there was there is this article on GQ magazine, which was on YouTube, where they map out every Beatles song that's connected to. Places in the UK or in Europe. Right, right, mm. right. Nice. Right. Yeah. So Penny Lane, so the map, the, the Google map thing just goes to Penny Lane in right. Liverpool. Liverpool right. And then the bed in story would be Amsterdam, you yeah. know, and, and all that, you know. But so, just, so, in Singapore, we only have Marina Bay. Uh. And, then, <laughs> and only at night. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Full moon time. Full moon. Huh? Full moon. <laughs> so, so, so we don't even have natural theatre anymore. Yeah, so a lot of our true. a lot of our history is just yeah. oral history oh, or written gone. form or pictures. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can't bring your kid. Look, dad used to play at this particular stage in this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's just gone. Yeah, yeah. That's true. So we yeah. we 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 kind of lose out on developing a very strong, popular culture. You know, mm. we miss out a bit. I mean, we could have been the forefront because. We are an English-speaking nation, mainly, you know. Okay. Everybody can, yeah. especially now, you know. Yeah, exactly. So even back then, some artists were recording in two languages. You sing in yeah, yeah, Hokkien or Canto or yeah. Mandarin or Eng and English. Yeah, yeah. And Malay artists as well. Even the Quest were known for their English works recorded yes. in Malay. Yep, 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 they did. So, yep. so we we could have had we could have that that you know a big big industry that could could have been influential in. At least in Southeast Asia. Mm. Yes. Yeah. See, right now, what's happening with uh, the regional countries like Malay, Malay, Indonesia, Philippines, and Malaysia? A lot of the English music coming out from there is very good. Mm. Oh yeah. In terms of yeah. diction, in terms of yeah. the production, production right? yeah. styles, and all that, yes. you know. So we 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 have, but we we could have been at the forefront because we were we yeah. were center. That's true. Correct. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Singapore yeah. became the center for music in the 60s because we had the technology. Yep. Mm. Malaysia didn't have I mean, they had the masses, yeah. but they didn't have the technology. Yeah. Same way with the P. Ramli films. Yeah. P. Ramli right. films are produced, you know, yeah. by Shaw Brothers here, but the market was outside. Yeah. Yeah. They were selling tickets in all the yeah. cinemas in, in Malaysia. Malaysia. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so we could have been Sweden, you know, where we produced. Could have. Yeah. True. No, 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 it's not true. We, we kind of blew it twice over la, in the yeah. 70s for both music and film. Yes. Totally. We kind of blew it. So it's only until the 90s then you start seeing music and film from Singapore. Yeah, then you have then, but, then, yeah. Yeah, then the 20, yeah, but 20 years, you know, it's very hard to make up. So. Yeah, because the because what started back then was were very raw, honest and real. You know, it was mm. doing it for the, the passion of it. Mm. Yes. That, that would have been the foundation of this country's yes. uh, popular culture. Yeah. Mm. The base, you that's know. True. Yep. That's true. That's true. Now, because I mean, there's so many other attractions and distractions. You have the Instagram. You have the social media. You want to be <laughs> yes. popular. You want to be famous. Yeah. It's more instantaneous, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. So back then, it's like you just do it because, like, that's what you feel like doing, and you don't really care. You know, you mm -hmm. make it, you make it, you don't. You, yeah. You just carry on doing your you know, with your life, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So we 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 kind of 
Do we have time now to get catch up? I don't know because the technology has changed, the media has changed, the people's mm. perception has changed. Yeah, we are more exposed to bigger global culture, a bigger, bigger fish coming into a small pond. You know. Yeah. With 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 quick K-pop mm. and all that, mm. and then this boils down to uh, issues of revenue. Like for example, uh, you, if you have a strong local market, when you know when I was selling about like uh, maybe about three thousand CDs. The record labels were quite happy because they were making their money back. Yep. Yep. Right? Yep. Pay for production costs and, and you mm. can roll that into the next production. Yeah. Mm. So, but 3,000 streaming of your album doesn't <laughs> at all. Yeah. No. yeah. At least you sell 3,000 cassette and 3,000 CDs, you can still play around with the numbers because they're mm. quite close. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this has completely changed the whole industry. Mm. Right? It kind of revolutionized the whole way of doing things mm. as well, mm. you know? So much so that so now, if you if you and also because with especially like Spotify and uh, YouTube and all that, it's very algorithm based. Yeah, yeah, right. And all these successful acts from the West, it's huge money being pumped in for advertising. Mm, yeah, mm. their marketing budget uh, so, is nearly almost the same yeah, as their yeah, production budget. Yeah, yeah. So so you don't you 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 can't compete at the same on the same same platform. You definitely lose up because number one, you you can't fight algorithm. Mm. Like with with in 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 our when we were in the nineties, we were very active. You could just be gigging and selling five CDs, two CDs, ten CDs yeah. each gig, right? Yeah. Mm. And that goes on and on and on and on and on. You know, and then when people know more of your stuff, they already they will look for it on, on in shops. Yeah. yeah. But now it's it's not the same. I mean, I kind of empathize with the new generation of trying to break out because. The competition is is more intense. At the same time, it's it's not giving a fair chance because of algorithm. I mean, speaking about breaking out, uh, I think for for you, uh, one of the the biggest things was after you released out albums, um, and then you kind of like just disappeared and went off to the UK. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah I remember uh, that. How did, <laughs> how did that come well, about? <laughs> where where is he again? Where? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think nineties was my time of just going with the flow. Huh? <laughs> okay. <There was> no, <laughs> There was no career plan and such, you know, like, okay, I need to release another album and then, and yeah. then build up a career and all. It was more like, I think it's more fun to be in the UK at this time around. And I was just like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the, my, my initial plan was actually um, from Singapore, maybe I'll just be based in KL. Okay. Then I can be more involved with the Malay music mm. industry mm. via mm. KL mm. and then still do stuff in Singapore because it's close enough to go back and forth, yeah. you know? Yeah. But it just happened that KL was a transit point. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so I was in... See, the idea when I went to London was actually I was to yeah, just go and have a look, you know, like I didn't even know how long I was going to stay. 
mm. the initial time you know when mm. you know so uh when after like a week or so i bought time out magazine mm. right just to see what gigs was around i mean you are smack in the middle of the music world you know like to, to do music in the real world i mean in in the in the bigger way you have to be in london la nashville yep. or new york yep. you know this yep. is where the main game is being played right yep. Yep. so i was in london and thinking oh my god man and then i was just like kind of looking at time out and then they go like open mic you know three songs you know come and register and i was like when i saw that literally i said i am not going back man Yeah. Because because I got say I can play my own songs here, because yeah. you know in in the 90s although you you can make records but to play live you still yeah. end up having to do a lot of cover stuff yes, or yeah, make yes. money from make yes. a living you know mm. uh, I mean that's just, just the way the business was you mm. know um, yep. not, nothing wrong with it if you want to do it you know but that's your 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 thing for for singer songwriters that that very gung ho about yeah I want to do my own songs and I want to do my own gigs you know but it wasn't. There wasn't enough space, mm. you know. Yep. So I mean, I was also doing a lot of, uh, not a lot, but there was uh, several times that I did uh, cafe gigs. One was Yellow Star Marine in Bishan, oh, yeah. <laughs> run by Mr. Gakwa Edmund. Yes, yes. Um, and then there were a few others at uh, Boat Key. You know, you yeah. have a kind of a resi- small residency. You play your your own stuff. You play also a bit of covers mm. and all that. You know, so you have yeah, you have to balance it out. Um, so when I was When I saw this whole open mic thing in in the UK, I was like, in in London, I was like, yeah, let's check it out. Then when I started doing it, I it was really addictive because you 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 do have to play your own stuff. You cannot play covers at open mics. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Right. So I end up trying out stuff, and then obviously when I was trying some new songs and all that, you get feedback. You're like, oh, this may work in your homeland, but it may not work in the UK scene. You know. So you kind of understand oh yeah this is how it, hmm. the business works you know so i ended up like staying on you know from being a tourist eventually i i went back studying at the guildhall school of music and drama hmm. and then that became a longer stretch but throughout uh the when i was the initial part i was playing the open mics and then i also tried basking okay uh, at the london underground because hmm. you know in Um, the local scene in Singapore, this you know, the, the amongst the loud charm musicians that uh, they go, yeah, even the buskers are great musicians, you know, yeah, in London. Yeah. So I go like, okay, let's try then. Am I, am I, you know, am I good enough to to be able to to busk and not, you know, <laughs> and, and and to get people to actually, you know, give money to you, whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I I tried doing that. I was when I first went to London, I brought my. My old my Yamaha, yeah, it was very kind of a basic Yamaha with with a kind of pickup thing, which I eventually gave away to a family friend in London. But that was my my guitar then. So I was just playing. I was just doing well all the stuff that I used to play at the cafes like Neil Young and a bit of Bob Marley. I mean the the standard mm. pop rock, folk rock, you know, reggae stuff that was because it's all because I never busked in, in Singapore before. You see. So to to be able to do that, it was like. Wow, you know, I'm I'm basking in and 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 the experience of it, you know. And the best thing that came out of that is that I no longer had stage fright. Mm, After that okay. experience, you yeah. know, that, that 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 couple of months of just doing it almost on a daily basis, mm. that 
because when people are walking in front of you at in the underground, uh, number one, you have to have your guards on because you don't know what's coming, right? Because you're in a big bad world out there, right? Yeah. So yeah. some some idiot might come on or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. with you know nasty comments or racist whatever. Right. Uh, on and more importantly, it was the tra- transport police. Mm. Right. Because il- busking was illegal back then, you see. Right. Now oh. it's all like like you know it's all kind of you have to register and then get permit and all that. So um, I eventually got into the the whole busking system. So the system is such that, for example, I go to let's say. Uh, Oxford Circus and Chris is busking there, mm. and then I asked Chris, Chris, okay, who's after you? And then, after, and then you said, uh, Kevin Matthews is after me, right? Chris, you tell Kevin after him is me, right, right. So there's a connection there, you see, right. So when 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 I when I when he when 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 Kevin sees me coming in and say, oh, are you next? Yeah, you're next. And then he finishes thing. It's about I don't know, one hour slot or 45 minutes, whatever. There's, there's a time frame. So it's, like a gig, it's like a concert, man. One hour, <laughs> and you take a break. You can't, you can't hog the pitch. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. But what's interesting yeah. is the moment the transport police move the busker, then they re- it's a reset button. Whoever <laughs> comes, yeah. So whoever comes into the empty pitch starts all over again. So, <laughs> so, okay, so, okay. so, so imagine I came into the empty space, okay, the, bus, the pitch, right? Yeah. So I'm playing, and then Kevin comes on and says, oh, Who's next? Oh, nobody. You, I'm after you. Yeah. Then you come on, Chris. Right. And then yeah. So it starts all over again. Mm. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. That's yeah. So it, it was an interesting, interesting mm. system um, uh, because it was just doing. I mean, I've met uh, interesting characters as well. One guy he busks only during winter. So in the summer he goes holidays. Okay. <laughs> He's playing Irish flute. You know. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Little, yeah. 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 Just that, and then he then he said, "Yeah, I only bus around winter time, and then uh, late autumn until winter, Christmas, and all that. By February, he's you know he got enough money, he'll bus off to somewhere else." Wow. Okay. I mean, I've never been to Europe or anywhere outside Singapore, mm. apart from Malaysia, mm. or also well, the furthest I went was Taiwan because of military training, right? Mm, mm-hmm. So that was the first, so so I've never been. So it was kind of readjusting. Number one, you have, readjust, you have to adjust to the, the seasons, the climate, you know, mm. like suddenly why is your skin so dry because it's winter, it's dry yeah. air mm. and all that. You know, it's all... Yeah, it was uh, very, very... Um, it's sort of an awakening moment, uh, time, you know. Okay. And then at the same time, I get to see all the big acts. I saw you 2 playing live at Wembley. Yeah, right. I saw yeah. the Rolling Stones live at Wembley. You know, so like... I mean, there were times that I just pinched myself like, shit, am I really here, man? Mm. Yeah. You know, that, that feeling, you know, like, yeah. some, sometimes, some days I feel like, man, I feel like I'm in a TV set or something, man. Mm. Like, I've seen this scene in a James Bond film, <laughs> uh, Victoria Station, <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. And then, you, you know, you want to, because uh, I, I, I like to, to look at paintings as well. So, you want to see an original Van Gogh, yeah. whatever is being exhibited at National Gallery, just like, yeah, just mm. take the tube down, you know, go. Yeah, and eventually mm. end up in West London for a very long West time. West London. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Paddington, yeah. and the Bella Road, and all that stuff. Wow. In the summer, or when it's not too cold, I will cycle around to my gigs because they were all kind of around, you know, quite quite okay. accessible with mm. the bicycle. Okay. So when I saw this movie called Yesterday, remember Yesterday about yeah, the, yeah. how the world forgotten about the Beatles and this guy cycling, he was playing in pubs and yeah. he was playing Beatles. Yeah. Right. So there was a scene of this guy with a guitar cycling. I said, that's me, man. Yeah. <laughs> Strapped to your back and it just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, my guitar at the, the back and I'm cycling. Yeah. 
yeah. get into the gigs. It was, it was a good time. I mean, and then you meet you meet other the, the, the good thing is you meet other musicians who are also trying uh, trying out. You mm. know, mm. I was just going with the flow. I said, well, it happened. It happens. It's not. Yeah, you know. So w- there was some interest. I had a manage management come a lawyer who wanted to be a manager for a while, and then um, I had a guy uh, called David Miller who ended up managing Colin Colin Bailey Ray. Mm, right. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's all kind of like yeah, let's try this, try that, you know. But obviously, it's the real world out there, so you you don't know if it can happen or not, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, I saw Katie Dunstall before she got signed. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, so okay. she's really... She's she really was still doing all her, her looping yeah. and stuff like that. She was doing her loops already back then on her own. You yeah. know? And, and it took her about 10 years to get signed. And also, there were a few friends that got signed and got dropped before the album comes out. You know, like oh. one single and nothing. But he gets stuck with the con- contract mm. because the a r guy left his job. So yeah. every six months, the a r guy is a high turnover rate, you see. Right. So... If if I sign Chris up and then I leave my post, yeah, at the, as in in our, then the next guy taking over would not know what to do with Chris because he yeah. didn't know what Chris is about. Yeah. Then you go on the shelf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the real world is 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 cruel in that sense, you know. Very tough. And so I I got uh, so my manager uh, then uh, Bob Miller. So he called a couple of this. We did some showcase. So the, the 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 game plan was. You get yourself into the whole Seamus Horator circuit, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. I was very active with the Cashmere Club that was started by my friend Tony Moore, right. from, formerly from the Cutting Crew. Right, right. Heart, yes, yes. just dying in your arms. Now. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. So he was the keyboard player for the band. Right. But before that, Tony was a keyboard player for Iron Maiden. Oh, wow. Before Iron Maiden went all guitar. Right, right. Yeah, keyboard player. Right. So Tony, Tony from Bristol, he, uh, he was. He was uh, uh, he was um, uh, the initial member of the band. Wow! So he started the Cashmere Club, and because of his connection with the with the music industry, he managed to bring in you know singer songwriters, mm-hmm. established writers, acts, uh, record executive talent scouts to, to this little scene called the Cashmere Club that happens every Friday and Saturday. It started from one night and it became every night. Mm. So uh, there, I did my showcase, and uh, Robert Miller brought in a guy from. Polygram, opposite Polydor Records. So they said, oh yeah, you know, after seeing my gig and all that, they say, yeah, he's good. Uh, some songs are good, some songs are not so good, which is a fair comment. Mm-hmm. And they said, but we don't know where to put him on the shelf. This is where the music business comes in. Because <laughs> yeah. there's no Asian guy mm-hmm. doing folk rock at that time. As it is being a black guy singing rock like Lenny Kravitz, yeah, had his own difficulty. Yep. You know? Yes, yeah. You, you read yeah. his interviews, you know. Like, yeah. Even Prince, even for that matter, Michael Jackson. When when Thriller came out, it took a while before yeah, it became a mainstream thing, yeah. right? Because I think apparently David Bowie wrote into MTV and a few other act, main acts, white guys, yeah. yeah, wrote into MTV and said, "Look, if you don't play Michael Jackson's videos, we're not, we're going to pull out our videos." Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So so yeah, it was kind of a good experience for me, and then I got signed to uh, a small indie label called uh, Tall Poppy. Okay. So the producer is from Australia who was also working with Inaccess back then and also uh, the partner uh, uh, Lee Lindsay from Canada. So they formed a kind of a, a record label a record label called Tall Poppy Records. But we managed to, I recorded about maybe four tracks, five tracks but then the label kind of stopped operating after a while. Mm. So I got, I got stuck with this unfinished mm. album you know okay. which I still have 
Hopefully, I one day I'll release it as a the lost recordings of Art Fazil. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Lost London recordings, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a nice title for it. Yeah. How long? So, I mean, so, like, uh, so when would when would this be already by by this time? How how uh, long were you nine, there for already? In total, about more than a decade, man. But mm. I can't remember. Yeah, there about. I mean, before I was just going back and forth, and forth, and then yeah. I went back studying. You know, yeah. Right. So, um. About nine ninety nine, that was kind of a like the the excitement, you know. Yeah. Mm. Then year two thousand, I went back to study at the Guildhall. Then I just kept carrying on, you know. And, and, right. And the scene by that time, the scenes had changed because remember this is the time when Napster came on. Yes. MP3 yes. Yeah. was the rage, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so labels were bleeding money, and nobody knew mm. what to do, and this and that. In fact, in nineteen eight, I was when I was there, I actually sat down at. Uh, Gut Records, Gut Records, because one of the talent scouts saw me and said, "Yeah, we're kind of interested in you." So I went to Gut Records. At that time, their app was Space. Mm. Uh, yes, that's right. Yes. right. Yep. Yeah, so but you know, the, I mean, the challenges for me. I mean, I can talk about you know candidly because you know, looking on hindsight, like here's this Malay guy in London, mm. know, knowing only like maybe two people when first got there. You don't know any connections. Unlike when I was in Singapore, I knew Rami Sareb, I knew yeah. this guy, that guy, I know the record label from there. You're kind of in the scene, people know. I was like, nobody, I mean, I was literally a troubadour that nobody knew, you know. Mm -hmm. So so I kind of started from scratch. It was an experiment. I thought, well, let's see where this goes, you know. Yeah, so it took me a while to get into the whole system of that, you know. Mm -hmm. In fact, very first... Um, what was it called? Before Pop Idol, there was something else. Academy. It was something. It was something. I can't remember what it's called. So my friend Tony, Tony Moore again. He said, ah, "Why don't you just do it as my a favor for my friend because he's doing this production for this TV thing, and they actually liked me. You know, they feel like, oh, we, we really like your stuff. And then, but then after, when they checked my my uh, my document, my form, my entry form, they said, oh, you're not British. Uh. I said, oh, no, I'm. I, you know, I'm not. Oh, but." Unfortunately, we need we need to be a British citizen to be able to mm. be part of this TV program. You know, this reality mm. TV. Fair enough, because that's mm. their policy, right? Mm -hmm. So I kind of miss on that one as well, because I could have been uh, like, you know, one of the guys that you will see, you know, on this reality TV. Yeah. And stuff and, you yeah. Know, just when it was about starting out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was in, it was just interesting. Like, I mean, for me, it was a great experience just being. From one end, like okay, being kind of known in Singapore and Malaysia, you know, and suddenly I'm in London, like I reinvented myself, and and started from zero, uh, which is so it's it's just very interesting because you kind of have this second life, you know, like yeah, you can reinvent yourself and mm -hmm. and 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 see what happens with it, you know. Then at some point, I became quite a regular guy doing a couple of residencies like one night in a cafe in Soho, one night somewhere in Edgeware Road, one night in somewhere in Ballum. So I have this circuit going, playing different cafes and, and pubs on different nights. Which is what's happening now in Singapore with a lot of acts. Like one day play one night here and one yeah, night there, yeah. right? Yeah. So, uh, and that helped me to pay my bills, like, you know, basically. Mm. Because at that time also I was studying at the Gihol School of Music and Drama. So I mm. managed... To get a bit of, uh, I had an NAC grant. Yeah. I, I oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Ah. So, so you, I got an NAC grant to to help pay for the the because of the module based. So yeah, I managed to pay that and 
and uh, but the rest of all living expenses were kind of hard to to kind of like do it myself, you know. So mm-hmm. to, to be honest, if you ask me now how where I got the money, I don't know, but there was money. To, for some reason, <laughs> the money was there. Um, uh, not well, there's some bits of royalties in Singapore, but not, not much. But for some reason, there was enough. I mean, you're living as a student anyway, you know, you don't. Uh, you're just renting a room with the guys, mm. you know, in the house, you know. So you kind of manage that. Mm. So we did. So it it's kind of the real world. Like, see, it would have been easier if you're British because you could be on the dole. Yeah. Right. Right. So I was up against all these the real things, right? Okay, paying mm-hmm. your bills, paying your school, and managing all that. Whereas if you're a British citizen, you could be on the dole and record, write an album for the next two years. Yeah. Without having to worry about your rent. Mm, yeah, this is what happens to Oasis and all these Brit, Brit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brit rock, Brit pop acts. You know, yep, they yep, were yep. on the drill for a couple of years to develop yeah. their craft. Yep. Yeah. Which you know, if you you don't have that, you know, then you be you you have another thing to deal with. You know. End of part one. Yes, we're gonna leave it there for now. But we've got Art Fazil coming back for part two, which will be up very very soon. Uh, even probably by the time you hear this, you know. So remember to like, follow, leave a comment or rating where you can. Every little bit helps and we really, really appreciate it. Uh, in the meantime, just stick around and we'll see you in part two. Sometimes when I feel blue, no, I'm not in the best of